in a Big Think article last month, I warned that a corporate-controlled metaverse is rapidly coming our way, and it won't t be all sim rainbows and sim roses. Yes, there will be magical applications, but the real metaverse also will be intrusive and overwhelming, adding a pay-for-play layer to our lives that will make today's problems with social media seem quaint. In response to that piece, may have reached out, as the warnings I outlined resonated with them. They wanted to know what we can do to avoid the dangers. I have thought a lot about this over the last decade and have several ideas to share. To present this methodically, it is helpful to address three key questions. 1. What will the metaverse really be like when widely deployed? 2. What are the most significant risks? And 3. What are the most helpful solutions? What will the metaverse really be like? To answer this, we must predict what will replace today's ecosystem of desktops and mobile phones as our primary means of accessing digital content. There are two likely scenarios, either we will live in a virtual world, wearing headsets and gloves like Facebook is currently pitching, or we will live in an augmented world, wearing see-through glasses with content splashed all around us. Both futures are possible, but I firmly believe augmented reality R, will be the platform of our lives by the end of this decade. Virtual reality VR, will be popular but for limited duration uses like gaming, entertainment, and targeted business applications. Why does R win? Having been involved in both technologies from the beginning, I see no way to escape a very simple fact, people do not want shoeboxes strapped to their faces. It is not just the size and weight that are off-putting, but the sense of being cut off from your surroundings. In fact, it was this feeling of being enclosed and isolated while working with early vision systems at NASA that inspired me to pitch augmenting our reality to the Air Force 30 years ago. And as I studied people using those early prototypes, I was convinced R would eventually become the medium of our lives. People do not want shoeboxes strapped to their faces. Dr. Louis Rosenberg on why VR will lose out to R. I know many believe VR will be the dominant platform, but I sincerely hope it does not go this way. I say that because the more we distance ourselves from in-person interaction, the less empathy we will feel for each other, reducing fellow humans to sim characters in a sim world. I have been concerned about this for a long time, even writing a dystopian graphic novel in 2008, Upgrade, that describes the callous and oppressive society that can result if we all retreat into a virtual world. Coincidentally, the key plot point of that book was a perpetual global pandemic that forced everyone indoors, giving us no choice but to embrace purely virtual lives. Still, barring such a disaster, I remain confident that augmented reality will inherit the world from phones and desktops, shaping our lives for the next few decades. I also believe R will make our world magical, allowing us to embellish our surroundings with virtual content that seems real but is playfully untethered from the laws of physics. This will open amazing opportunities for artists and designers, entertainers and educators, and of course, marketeers. R will also give us superpowers, enabling us to alter our surroundings with the flick of a finger or the blink of an eye. Rather than give pages of examples here. I point you to Metaverse 2030, 
a piece I wrote to convey what our augmented lives will be like ten years out. What are the primary risks we face? It's not the technology of the metaverse that is so dangerous, but the fact that powerful corporations will be able to mediate all aspects of our lives, selling access to our eyeballs to the highest bidder. I know this sounds a lot like today's social media, but in the metaverse, the intrusion will be far more intimate than any media technology ever created. This will enable the big platform providers to monitor, manipulate, and monetize us like never before. I call these risks the three MS of the metaverse. 1. Monitoring. Over the last two decades, tech companies have made a science of tracking our behaviors, analyzing how we browse and where we click so they can peddle our profiles to advertisers. Many consider this an egregious invasion of privacy, but little has been done to solve the problem. In addition, this obsession with tracking and profiling has made social media a destructively polarizing force, allowing platform providers to target us with custom messaging that amplifies our existing biases and preconceptions, radicalizing populations. In the metaverse, this gets much worse. The technology will not simply track what you click on, but where you go, what you do, and what you look at even how long your gaze lingers. The platforms will also track your facial expressions, vocal inflections, and vital signs, as captured by your trusty smartwatch, while intelligent algorithms will use this data to predict your emotional states. This means the companies controlling the metaverse will not just know how you act, but how you react, profiling your responses at the deepest level. Of course, the danger here is not that they track these things, but that they can use this data to manipulate our wants and needs, influencing not just what we buy but what we believe. 2. Manipulation. From the early days of radio and TV, advertisers have targeted us by demographic, skillfully influencing our views. With the advent of social media, segmenting the public has gotten far more precise, enabling hyper-targeted messaging. In the metaverse, this targeting will get far more personal the content much harder to resist. After all, in today's world, we usually know when we are being advertised to and can muster a healthy dose of skepticism. In the metaverse, we will not be hit with overt pop-up ads or promo videos but simulated people, products, and activities that seem just as real as everything else around us. For example, in the metaverse you will meet people who look and act like any other user, but they will be computer-generated personas, Zimgens. I call them, that are programmed to engage you in conversation, reading your facial expressions and vocal inflections so they can pitch you more skillfully than any used car salesman. And they will be crafty, armed with a database of your interests and inclinations, plus a history of your previous interactions with similar ads. Even the manner in which these Simgens appear to you their gender, hair color, eye color, clothing style will be custom crafted by algorithms that predict which features are most likely to influence you personally. I know this sounds creepy, but it will happen unless we demand regulation to prevent it. More on regulation below. 3. Monetization. As a long-time entrepreneur, I appreciate that platform providers are not charities. They need business models that generate real revenue. And because the public has resisted paid subscriptions, 
The model they have adopted is free access in exchange for advertising. This is why so much effort has gone into tracking us and profiling us and targeting us. We the public have chosen to be the product that is bought and sold rather than the customer paying the bills. I point this out because a great way to solve these problems is for us users to change our mindset, being willing to pay for access to these environments rather than selling access to ourselves. What are the most helpful solutions? Metaverse Credit, Caspers Grinvalds, Adobe Stock As described above, shifting from ad-based to subscription-based models could be a powerful fix, eliminating the motivation that platform providers have to monitor and manipulate their users. Unfortunately, this only works if consumers are willing to pay for access. I suspect some users will be willing to pay for a safer metaverse, which will inspire entrepreneurs to create subscription-based platforms, but we cannot assume that this will become the norm anytime soon. We also cannot expect people to simply opt out of the metaverse, as it will be our primary interface with digital content. Opting out will mean missing out on critical information in our world. So what can we do to protect the public? At the risk of sounding cliché, the best solution is to enact significant and meaningful regulation. Of course, the nuanced question is, what specifically needs to be regulated? First and foremost, we need to limit the level of monitoring allowed in the metaverse. The providers will have access to everything we do and say and touch and see. In my opinion, they should not be allowed to store this data for more than the short periods of time required to mediate whatever real-time experience is being generated. That will reduce the degree to which they can profile our behaviors over time. In addition, they should be required to inform the public as to what is being tracked and how long it will be retained. For example, if they are monitoring your gaze, you need to be overtly notified. At the same time, there should be strict limits on what type of tracking is allowed and for what purposes. For example, the public could demand restrictions on advertising algorithms that monitor your facial expressions, vocal inflections, posture, and vital signs, including your heart rate, respiration rate, pupil dilation, and even galvanic skin response. I know this type of tracking sounds extreme, but it is the direction we are headed, and it is not far off. Unless we strictly regulate the metaverse, these very personal physiological reactions will be used to fine-tune marketing messages, adapting their strategy to influence us in real time. In addition, we need to assume the metaverse will move away from traditional marketing methods like pop-up ads and promo videos, instead targeting us in far more natural ways, injecting promotional objects and activities into our world that look and feel real. If a third party pays for a virtual product placement in your augmented surroundings, perhaps they should be required to inform you that it is a targeted placement, not a serendipitous interaction that you just happened to stumble upon. The same is true when advertisers target us with simulated personas that engage us in what feels like natural conversations. They could be required to inform us clearly and overtly whenever we interact with conversational agents controlled by intelligent algorithms, especially when the algorithms have a hidden promotional agenda. This becomes even more important when those algorithms are also monitoring our reactions, 
for example assessing our posture and breathing so it can skillfully adapt its approach in real time. This type of interactive manipulation comma optimized by AI, will happen soon, and it will be profoundly coercive and less highly regulated. Is the metaverse worth it? Clearly there are dangers to avoid as we transition from phones and desktops to immersive worlds. This begs the question, is the metaverse even worth it? Personally, I believe the technology has the potential to make our lives magical, expanding what it means to be human. But to avoid the hidden perils, we should consider proactively regulating this space. And we need to do it now before the problems become so ingrained in the infrastructure and business models that they are impossible to unwind. I know, meaningful regulation is never easy and rarely a popular pursuit. But without restrictions on platform providers, we may find ourselves in a fully mediated world that looks and feels natural, while behind the scenes, powerful corporations are manipulating our lives for the highest bidder altering our experiences without us even realizing it. This is not the future I want for myself or my kids, so I would encourage regulation now. Like it or not, the metaverse is coming soon. Let us help make sure it is a wonderful experience.
last voicemails to them from Detroit. Four K hasn't even really started. Yeah, you know, like I said, they're just putting that out there just to burn four K out, and the four K hasn't even really started. Like I said the best you're gonna get probably is ten eighty i beaming into your household, but they're gonna blow it up as four K, throw a little digital enhancement to it. And the reason I say that is, is because basically it's a whole bandwidth thing of up and down. So they're not going to have people dragging 4K video without them paying, obviously. They are. But at the same time, too, they're going to still throw you something. Like, even the old TV shows like The Simpsons and stuff like that, they're most likely in uh, 720. So, still. And then, like I said, you got 1080i. And obviously, what is that, HD, HDV, I, I lose track now, there's so many of them. And then obviously 4K, 4K real. I've already seen video in 8K, you know. I mean, how clean do you want to see things? It's like, imagine now just videos that were shot, okay, and they're not in 8K, and they try to play them like old school TV shows. It's not going to look that good. So it's just basically their little sales technique, you know, just to get people out there to buy the latest brand. You know, think of it as like stereos. You want more power and more boom, you know. Yeah, it sounds like a mushroom, but I think a mushroom has more value. The NFT, you can imagine it just like a certificate of authenticity. It's nothing more than the signature on painting but the art has not changed even the ownership hasn't changed there's nothing new except a way to say um, you know I made this I gave this to you uh, the new Sony game very cool one very enjoying one although it's uh, required the REU uh, expansion you know, uh, 20, uh, 56 uh, uh, kilobytes of the expansion. But it's really very cool game. I really enjoy it. And I played uh, yesterday. And I even uh, upload to the my uh, group uh, the file of the game, the, the video, you know, compressed. Anyway, uh, always nice to hear from you. I haven't heard from you for a while in most cases we can tell a computer to make an assumption this is called a default for example most computers set their default language to english this assumption is made because most people know english and can be comfortable with it when we are working with computers we can change the default assumption to be something different for example when we are working with a word processor we can tell it to assume French as our default. For the most part, when we are working with a computer, we make an assumption about how the computer will behave. Hacking was once a crime. Now it's a profession. Computer security expert Eric K. Smith. Photo, Jonathan Ernst. Hacking used to be the realm of computer scientists, or, more commonly, teenage computer nerds but not anymore. In a computerized world, 
it's a lot easier to break into someone's private files than to break into someone's house. It's not a question of if a hacker will get into your computer system, but when. Today, the hacker's toolkit is a lot more advanced, as demonstrated by the recent hacker attacks on Sony. The target. I had a new computer. It was like a mini computer. I was playing games on it. I was a young boy. I was playing my favorite game on it. My brother was playing another game. He was not playing my game. I was playing a game. I was a boy. I was playing a game. My brother was playing a game. The computer was like a man. It was like a man. It was a man. It was like a man. I was playing a game. I was a boy. I was playing a game. N an age of instant gratification, when we expect instant feedback from our phones, laptops and other devices, it's no surprise that we've become impatient with the slow pace of scientific research. But it turns out that it can take months, even years, for researchers to piece together the puzzle of who's behind the data they're collecting. The problem of data ownership is not unique to science. It's a big challenge for law enforcement, too, as well as for security agencies. If you ask a journalist to name the source of a leaked story, when I want to know who is the man behind the machine, I don't ask my mother. I ask my computer. I ask the web. I ask my friends, and they tell me. If you want to know who is the man behind the machine, you will have to ask yourself. When you have nothing left, you are forced to think. And when you think, you become the machine. You become the man behind the machine. You become the machine behind the man. And then you will become a man behind the machine. If the history of computing is a history of exponential growth, then the history of computing in the West is a story of exponential growth. But in the beginning there was one person who stood above the rest, a person who helped to change the way we all think about computing. That person is Alan Turing. The computer as a universal machine, Turing wrote in 1936, is a mathematical idea of great importance. Alan Turing's 1936 paper on computable numbers marked the beginning of what would become computer science, and helped. It was a very cold night, the sky clear and the stars twinkling brightly, a group of people sat around a campfire, enjoying a warm, hot meal and the company of friends. The moon was full and bright, and the night was filled with sounds of crickets and the occasional car driving by on the nearby highway. The air was crisp, and the temperature was in the low twenties. Suddenly, the air was filled with a soft glow, and a man appeared in the sky. He was dressed in a dark suit, white shirt, and tie. He looked down and started to speak. We have all had our computers fail or crash at some point, leaving us in the dark. If you can't afford a professional to do it for you, here's a DIY guide to bring your computer back to life, with some very simple steps that you can do yourself. First, open your computer case and remove the power supply and hard drive. Then, disconnect any other peripherals that are attached to the computer, such as the monitor, mouse, and keyboard. Can you do it in 8-bit assembly? A. 
what you can do is to use A to write to memory, B to read from memory, etc. Address. C characters. D data. You can also use memory mapped I.O., M.M.I.O., where an address is mapped directly to a device. Most of the time, when using an assembly language, just you are using the 6502 or the MOS Technology 6502 family. This is a RISC CPU and has a number of instructions. It has 32 bit registers. Yes, you read that right a 16-bit instruction pointer, and a miscellaneous instruction that fills bits 1631 of the integer registers. It has a reset instruction. It has a conditional branch instruction. It has a multiply instruction. All of these instructions take 16 bits of operands. Write me a poem that is cyberpunk, something like that. Something with a lot planting and rebounds per game style a lot playing a sword in the fantasy genre. Oh just write one accompanied effectively. Feel free to use facts, ideas, plots, etc. to give message me. Re, CS Gamers. Hopefully counter-attack. Out of a rational thought box. See you in the next timeline, you all. I'm a PC gamer, so though graphics, music, romance are not might concern in slash 30 games. Only XP like, what is? Write me a cyberpunk poem. And get F-ed in the ass with it by critics, couch mothers and narcissistic prosecuting attorneys. Faith in metaphor. Cross Harbor Freight Store. By man's computer. Is an attempt to write a cyberpunk poem. A wiser man than me could point out the inherent absurdities of the task, and that this limits the scope of what can be successfully attempted. One aspect of cyberpunk dialogue is aduetic description. Most cyberpunk works speak of spatial disorients, hermetically sealed information systems, and underworld culture as common. Unless you have never peered under the fingernails of a cougar on heat or set foot in a flush college dorm drinking dump, these aspects of life truly may be alien. If you have lived them, there are few effective and accurate ways to write about them. Another aspect of cyberpunk is a crude sense of realism. Living in wired life horrifies the first news hound out there, but many older farm boys who have recently been released from the slave life they lived represent this literacy brought to the spitlud of the reality makeover. Whether inherently or otherwise, this impression haunts the scenery of cyberspace worlds. What is? You're fulfilling your destiny, Anakin. Become my apprentice. Learn to use the dark side of the Force. I will do whatever you ask. Good. What are you making? 
box just interprets signals from the computer and turns them into 